as a manager, my job is to create psychological safety for my team. And if I do a good job at that, you know, I'm going to reap the rewards. My team's going to be willing to be vulnerable with me. My team's going to be willing to share not only the successes, but where they feel challenged, where they feel like they might be failing, where they see potential challenges down the road so that I, as a manager, can get involved before it's an issue. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. All right, welcome to this episode of the Best Self-Management Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about one of the pillars that we discussed in our overview of best self-management, namely psychological safety. Psychological safety is something that's getting a lot of airtime in the business world right now, certainly in the you know every culture conference. It's psychological safety, psychological safety. And so we thought it would be a great time to go a little deeper into this. What does it really mean? How can organizations create psychologically safe workplaces. And so we're really excited to dive in on this. All right, so so Wikipedia defines psychological safety as a shared belief that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. Further goes on to say, it can be defined as being able to show an employee oneself without fear of negative consequences of self-image, status, or career, which is attributed to William Kahn, who uh, coined this term in in 1990 in an article, uh, Psychological Conditions of Personal Engagement and Disengagement at Work in the Academy of Management Journal. So William Kahn and Amy Edmondson popularized this idea of psychological safety, which is that, you know, in order for a team to really actually be high performing, there needs to be high degrees of vulnerable trust. There needs to be this capacity for taking uh, creative and interpersonal risks, this capacity to be authentic, and that... You know, I think we can all imagine experiences we or you know, just re- recall experiences we've had where we do not feel psychologically safe. And it's a good question for you of, you know, in your organization right now, do you feel psychological safety? And maybe maybe there's a more in-depth way of an, analyzing that question, but I think we have a really good gut check on this as well. For sure. Let's talk about some of the things that, you know, how do we know if we have psychological safety? What do we experience or not experience? For example, I was at a a function where I was giving a talk on on best self-management. There are about 75 venture-backed CEOs in the room. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but one one of the CEOs came up to me and he said, oh my God, I feel like a light bulb just went off. I realized that I haven't created psychological safety on my leadership team. And it's, it's one of the reasons I believe why I don't get information fast enough, right? They're withholding information because they're fear, they're afraid, essentially, of, of divulging things that might not be the best news. Well, and that's also one of these dysfunctions of traditional hierarchy is that hierarchy doesn't create psychological safety. You know, typical hierarchical models are about control, are about, you know, this kind of command and control model of leadership. The attitudes, I don't really care what you think. I don't really care what you feel. Do your job. Follow my orders. And so 
Of course, information is going to be flowing up the chain of command. Of course, people are going to be trying to cover their ass and look good and not tell their boss that they just made a mistake or that something's going really wrong because if they're the one that gets blamed for it, well, why volunteer that information? Right, exactly. And I think that, that, that you know some of this research has informed some of the business practices we've seen in, in more progressive companies where... You know, you, you hear these these phrases like fail fast and fail often or, or, you know, like embrace failure, right? Let's learn from it. So they're creating an environment where failure is okay as long as we're learning from it, right? And as long as it's coming from a place of, you know, you're taking a calculated risk, you're not being careless, right? But we're creating an opportunity and an environment where people shouldn't be afraid to take risk because that's what's needed. I think it was about uh, six years ago. Within the first two years of building 15.5, this is kind of a funny story. I'd sent out this email to our customers thinking it was a brilliant email. And I was like so inspired by it. And I thought it was so good. And I send it out and I get pretty angry, critical feedback from our customers. And I'm just, oh God, what have I done? And it's devastating. And it's, oh no, I'm so screwed. And I go to David and I kind of sheepishly tell you, look, I, I screwed up. I, I sent this email and people are really upset about it. And you said something that really actually was one of the more powerful moments in our relationship, which is that, Shane, I pay you to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it was an incredible moment because I was terrified of making mistakes, you know, coming from a more of a fixed mindset. And you helped me understand that, A, I wasn't going to be punished for that, as long as I learned from it, as long as we learned from it and built in more checks and balances to the emails that we send, that this was going to be okay. And it was, it was a defining moment in my professional career and in terms of creating psychological safety for me, which has then let me continue to show up, continue to take creative risks inside this company. It's important to understand that, you know, to have humility as a leader, right? And to understand that, you know, I make mistakes, right? People make mistakes. It's not, as long as we're we're working together and we have the highest good in mind and we're, we are being conscientious, right? Mistakes can happen. And, and, and sometimes it's just a lack of information or a lack of context uh, is where that comes from. And, and those are opportunities to improve and, and iteratively improve the business. We don't like to have a lot of those situations, but I think it's important to to understand that, you know, there's there's always opportunity in it. So let's talk about what are some of the practical ways to create psychological safety inside of an organization and both maybe some examples from what we've done internally at 15.5 as well as what we've seen other companies do. Part of our vision of the world of work is that there's high levels of psychological safety in every job because growth and development doesn't really happen until you feel psychologically safe. Exactly. And I think that there are two leverage points inside the company to focus on creating safety. One is at the cultural level. It's like, what do we do as an organization to create that? And then one is between managers and employees directly. Well, and I think there's a third, which is the leadership team. Mm -hmm. The leadership team in a company is always the initial mouth of the river. So if there's drops of ink at the very top of the river where it's coming out of the mountain... It's going to contaminate everything else. Uh-huh. The entire stream will be contaminated. And so it's one of the things that I think is really high leverage is how do you create high degrees of vulnerable trust, psychological safety 
at the leadership team and that that is going to be one of the the greatest things that you can do to affect the entire organization. Right. And of course, you can't stop there. Yes. But if you can, it's the best place to begin. Yeah, I agree with that. That's great. Why don't we start there then? Yeah, great. Okay, so what have we done as a leadership team to create high degrees of trust and truth-telling and... Uh, you know, safety for interpersonal risk taking. Well, I think I think it started with um, we had a very small leadership team until about two years ago, right? It was just it was me, you, and and our other co-founder Nazar, and, I and think, we're about what nine people now. Yeah, on the on the leadership team, we're about nine. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think that we. You know, we had a long-term relationship, right? So we we invested in time doing retreats and offsites and uh, developing interpersonal bonds that were outside of the the scope of work. Okay, so let's let's take that uh, break that down a little bit. So we're a distributed team. None of us have really been in the same location in the whole eight years of building this company, and so we've always prioritized an annual or. I guess we now do it two times a year as a leadership team. We get together in person because, you know, it's amazing working as a distributed team. I love it. There's so much, you know, we we call it embrace freedom and flexibility internally as a core value, but there's nothing that really replaces in-person time. Exactly. And so, and we step out of the ordinary. We did a whole other podcast about the power of transformational business retreats. But, you know, as a leadership team, being able to go to, you know, somewhere beautiful, get, rent a nice house and actually spend three, four days together having experiences that go beyond just business strategy, but that are also designed to create both challenge and novelty together. And that is one of the ways that really accelerates the level of vulnerable trust. Right. Because we get to know each other as human beings and not just, uh, you know, uh, in, in a business context. And I think that's one of the one of the easiest things to do is like, is, is get to know each other as human beings, care about each other and each other's lives, right? And then, you know, model that, you know, have a high standard inside the team for transparency and for for bringing issues and resolving them and, and having, a, you know, kind of a low ego environment. So getting to know each other, can you talk about what we do in terms of just the practical ways, the structure, so that it's not a, uh, we, we don't leave it to chance, that we get to know each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're doing that on a company-wide basis through things like our Question Friday practice. I think that as a, as a leadership team, during those offsites, we have more opportunities to share and learn about each other. I think one of the practices we do on a on a weekly basis is we check in at the beginning of every Monday morning and as a leadership team and ask for people to rate their energetic presence right? And and what's their intention around that? So Anise Cavanaugh's work, if you haven't listened to the episode with Anise. We also, uh, you know, chat around what what our weekends were like. Exactly. So that's the second piece. Yeah, yeah, of like like how we're doing in this moment, but also what's uh, highlights or lowlights in your life and being able to share those personal details. It's so cool because we always get to learn more about each other. I mean, we've been working together for eight years and there's all kinds of new stuff that I always learn about you because of this kind of a structure. Exactly. So, you know, those prompts at the beginning of the meetings are are opportunities to reveal more about each other to each other, right? And and they're opportunities to both celebrate each other and to have empathy, you know? And I haven't seen this actually in the research around psychological safety, but for me, I know one of the things that has me, like, 
Like until I actually feel seen by other people, until I'm seen for my more authentic true self and of like what's really going on for me, either in my struggles or my my celebrations and, you know, the the cool stuff that's happening in my life, I'm really feel seen. I'm not going to feel psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. And so one of the cool things that we all can do is we can make an effort to really see other people, to really peer beyond the veil of our uh, surface level identities and the ways that we're kind of trying to get people to only maybe see a portion of the stuff that looks good and not see the bad stuff. Then we're not going to be seen as the whole people that we really are. And when we can see people in that way, that's when I think that they really blossom. We all come to the table, whether we like it or not, with an entire human story, an entire lifetime of experience. And when we get to both share that story and share that experience, as well as be seen and recognized and celebrated, honored for that, that's when the critter brain relaxes enough and we can actually drop into a much deeper place of safety. Mm -hmm. By the way, if you believe in what we're doing here and you want to help us spread this movement, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes or on Google Play. It's going to help us uh, get more visibility for the podcast and grow the movement. This is a good transition point to talk about, you know, how do, how do we do this on a, on a more cultural level through things like Question Friday and High Fives? Yeah, great. So one of the things that we've been doing in, since the beginning of 15.5 is this, uh, this game we call Question Friday. And so every Friday for a half an hour, it's voluntary, you know, it's not a, it's not a mandatory meeting. And, you know, and it's actually great. Somebody was recently asking me, why do we do Question Friday? And so this is, this is also going to serve as a dual purpose of explaining this is the reasoning and the deeper purpose behind Question Friday. And so Question Friday, we come on 9 a.m. every Friday morning, Pacific time, and we have a half an Zoom hour. Meeting. Yeah, it's a Zoom meeting, virtual meeting, video, and there's a different question master each month. So somebody gets nominated or volunteers to be the question master, and they ask a random non-business-related question that everybody then goes around and answers. And as we've scaled, we now do just do uh, Zoom breakout rooms so that we keep it to about 10 to 20 people per breakout room. And then everybody simply goes around and answers the question. And what's so cool about this is that it's, a, it's very simple, but what it does is it gives the opportunity for us to tell our human story. And when we're not all working in the same space, which you know most teams aren't, most teams have virtual components now, it gives that opportunity for a human-level relationship, for us to be able to share parts of ourselves that maybe we haven't thought of in a really long time, Maybe it gives us an opportunity to share our dreams, our hopes, our failures, our struggles. And what happens inside of that is it develops a, a much deeper level of empathy, of understanding who people are beyond the surface. And that leads to deeper levels of trust. It leads to understanding where people are coming from and maybe where their behaviors are originating. Using questions to be in a continual self-examination of our lives and what do we want and being able to share our story. Right. I mean, you don't have to do this in, you know, we've formalized this as a, as a company-wide practice. And like, as you said, as we've grown, we've had to, you know, move into breakout rooms and things like that because we can't do it all single stream. But, you know, you can do this really anywhere over a meal, right? At the beginning of a meeting, there are opportunities to 
to bring in more of this inquiry to learn things about each other. I mean, I, I think there was a time not long ago where, you know, we've been working together for eight years and, and, and with our other co-founder, Nazar, and there were some answers in Question Friday where we were like, oh my God, I had no idea that about you, right? Uh, one of the questions actually recently was, um, and we should give some examples, other examples, but this one was, growing up, what is something you aspired to be or become, but for so, whatever reason you did not take that route, and how would things be different today if you did? Yeah, right? and, and, and there were hilarious answers. Yes. And, and it's, it's so fun to learn these things about each other. And what it does is it moves it out of just this transactional, professional relationship and into, dare I say, friendship, dare I say, community, where we are actually caring about each other and we're, we're interested in helping and uplifting each other. Another great one was, what was one of the first things that you saved up money for to buy as a kid? And it was hilarious. People talking about these incredible sneakers or, you know, somebody bought a snowmobile when they were 13. And, you know, and it's so cool because now I look at that guy, you know, one of our sales reps, Brian Trudy, who grew up on a farm and everybody else was talking about, you know, oh, I was saving up for clothing or for a video game or things. And he was like, well, I grew up on a farm. And so I bought a snowmobile and a forerunner when I was 13. And we're all <laughs> like, damn, that's badass. And now... I actually know that about him, and it's there's this kind of cool, the uh, more of a full story of who that person is. Right, right. And so, yeah. and and so this connection, shared humanity. It's also, and you know, in some of the more challenging questions, right? There's it develops empathy, right? And also realizing that oh, I'm not the only one who maybe have certain insecurities or challenges in my life, right? We all we have that as a shared experience. Yeah, and you know, we live in a in a time where there's an epidemic of loneliness we're more connected than ever before, and yet we feel more isolated than ever before. And so part of what we have an opportunity to do as a company, and for all companies, not just 15.5, but is to build cultures where people actually emerge out of that isolation, where people can actually be seen for who they are, can be seen in their struggles, and be held with compassion, and with grace. And that is where, uh, you know, people can start to actually become their best selves is when we're seen in our wholeness. You know, best self-management isn't about, okay, always be positive and never experience negative emotions. That's bullshit. That is not the path to becoming our best self. The path to becoming our best self is one where we are embracing our fullness everything in our lives and using that as material for transformation and aspiring to something higher. That's the path of best self-management. And it, we don't get there by ignoring the pain and the struggles. We actually get there by acknowledging and making space for the grief, for the heartache, for the, the difficult things. It's okay to do that as a company. And we don't need to be the full-time therapists for our people, but we do want to create spaces where we can share these stories, where we can be seen, where we can tell the truth. Yeah, 100%. That's amazing. Let's also talk about high fives, because I think that that's also another example of a place where we can see and be seen, but more about, it's more in the moment as opposed to who we are historically, right? And what, maybe what drives us or or things that we learn about each other. Yeah, and this kind of Venn diagram of high fives as it relates to positivity as well as psychological safety. Yes. You know, there's definitely overlap, overlap there. Yeah. But 
giving recognition, giving positive recognition and receiving positive recognition can really actually help somebody feel seen and acknowledged, which does then engender greater trust, greater vulnerability, greater transparency. Yeah. I think the the important thing here is is understanding these principles and engineering ways to have it be inevitable that these things happen, right? Yeah. And so we do yeah. that both through our product and we use high fives, but you don't necessarily need a product if you have another way to do it, right? If you can encourage that reflection every week, if you can encourage people to share and appreciate. And it, it's almost the antithesis of this kind of concept of, well, you know, let's pick the employee of the month and put one person up on a pedestal versus let's democratize this cultural norm of when, recognizing. You know, in terms of like employee of the month, I mean, sometimes that then also breeds competition. Yes. And for me, you know, some people really love competition. Me, as soon as there's like heavy competition in this space, I'm like, cool, I am out. Like, that that is a trigger that decreases psychological safety for me. Hmm. In those kinds of competitive environments, and I know I'm not the only one, you know, and, and part of this is actually uh, learning to be sensitive enough to start attuning, be, being socially attuned to understanding that what some people thrive on, not everybody thrives on. And that our own social norms might actually... Uh, really decrease psychological safety for other people. And it's it's complex for sure, but it is about learning how to create more universal principles that allow for uh, greater psychological safety for all. Mm -hmm. If you have a question or a topic that you'd love to hear us talk about on this show, please do email us at podcast at 15.5.com. And if it's a good suggestion, we may consider it. So now we've talked about the leadership team. We've talked about, you know, some of the things that you can do uh, more broadly in the culture. And then and then in terms oh, well, of the... Well, yeah. you know, in terms of high fives, actually, there's one more thing that I want to say. And again, yeah. this, this, this overlaps with the idea of positivity inside of organizations. But there's a really cool marriage counselor, researcher, this guy named John Gottman. And he's really famous for being able to sit down with any couple and have them solve an argument and within two minutes can predict with a 90% accuracy whether they're going to get divorced or not. And it's kind of terrifying, you know, to think of like, oh man, do not invite that guy to a dinner party at your house. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that came through that research is understanding that there's a, um, and in positive psychology, they call it the positivity ratio. And that is that in any, any relationship that there is an optimal ratio of positive to negative interactions. And, you know, there's some debate of whether it's three to one or eight to one or five to one, but that there's more positive emotional interactions than negative emotional interactions. And that you really want to be aiming for, you know, and I, I, I like five to one, that you want five positive interactions for every one negative emotional interaction. And that is where relationships really blossom and really thrive because I think it, that that's part of the precondition for creating psychological safety. Right. I mean, think of like any of your own personal relationships. If it's almost always a negative dynamic, do you really trust that person? Do you really feel safe to share the more of your vulnerable truths or to reveal yourself or to share a new idea you had that seems kind of weird, but that you, you're going to offer up? No, you're going to be on constant threat and survival mode right. and be like, how do, I, how do I survive this interaction without it totally ruining my day? 
Right, exactly. And you're probably going to want to distance yourself and hide and not, and, and, and right, exactly, all those things. We, we often talk about it as this concept of the emotional bank account. When we're investing in those positive interactions, we're, we're feeding that bank account so that when there's a challenging situation, we have something to withdraw from. And, and that, I think that the concept of the emotional bank account is related to the concept of psychological safety directly. I, I think we just need to have this episode be psychological safety and positivity as <laughs> okay. covering those two pillars. Uh-huh. There's more to say on positivity, I think, as well. Yeah. Uh, but this has been great. We've talked about the leadership team, focusing on that. We've talked about culturally. But what about that manager-employee relationship? Because I think that you know each manager has an opportunity to create a level of psychological safety with their team or not. And there's a skill set behind that. So, you know, how do we think about training managers to have the right mindset and skills to in, or- in order to create that level of psychological safety with their team? That's a good question. How are we doing that, David? You know, and, and I think it's like, it's this uh, kind of a question of also of, for new managers, people that are just stepping into management, how do you think about this as well? Yeah. I think we're we're going to do a whole podcast just on that for new managers. Again, I think just like best self-management starts as a mindset. It starts as, you know, you have to have this frame of mind that, you know, as a manager, my job is to create psychological safety for my team. And if I do a good job at that, you know, I'm going to reap the rewards. My team's going to be willing to be vulnerable with me. My team's going to be willing to share not only the successes, but where they feel challenged, where they feel like they might be failing, where they see potential challenges down the road so that I as a manager can get involved before it's an issue. Yeah. And I think that there's uh, things both as an individual manager and then organizationally um, around management that really need to be some questions that need to be asked. And that is, why are you a manager? Like, why are you actually managing? And what does success to you look like as a manager? And then And so that's something that, you know, individual managers should really be asking themselves. Why am I doing this? You know, am I doing this just because I was a great IC and then I got promoted and so I, that's the only way to make more money and the only way to have more social status inside of this org? Well, that's not a really, that's, you know, you're probably... It's like the worst reason to become a manager. It's the worst reason. And the most common. Yeah, absolutely. And as an organization, really be thinking about, well, what is our management philosophy? What are the values, the competencies that we actually expect from our managers? And there's so often a lack of clarity around those very basic things. And so it's a really good place to start is if your organization has those, then great, use them, go deeper into them, see how yours align with them. And if they don't, then do some of this work on your own. Really start asking yourself, what kind of a manager do I want to be? What is the impact I want to have on my team, both in terms of generating results for the business, but also personally, what, you know, what's the impact? How do I want my team to feel as I'm leading them is a really good place to start from that, you know, in terms of creating psychological safety. And probably one of those things we would recommend is that I'm creating psychological safety for my team. Right, exactly. Exactly. That's great. And then, you know, simple things like actually having a conversation with your people about this. You know, we uh, recently, somebody in our company did this thing of uh, Brene and Bruce, where they took an afternoon in one of the bigger rooms and uh, got a bunch of beers and snacks and watched the Brene Brown Netflix special. And it was really cool because it's a way of introducing people to this whole idea of vulnerability and shame 
in a context that's kind of light and playful, and they would pause it and banter and talk about things. And it's this manager that really took on saying, look, I'm committed to creating psychological safety with my team, so I want to be in an inquiry and a learning experience with them. It's fantastic. That uh, points to one of the, I think, one of the more important things as, you know, as a manager to be vulnerable yourself. You know, I often find when we talk about vulnerability and we talk about, you know, having people be willing to be open about challenges, usually, you know, if you ask a question, for example, we're at a dinner party and we do table questions, the first person tends to set the tone and to give permission for how deep people might go. You know, so you're, if you're ever at a dinner party with me, uh, make sure that, you know, just be aware that if you sit to my left, <laughs> right. that uh, I'm expecting you to set the bar high. Right. And we've always had that experience where, you know, someone halfway through the, the group, you know, shares a little more deeply and more vulnerably than the folks before. And then that sets the tone for the rest of the folks. So one, think- one of my favorite uh, teachers want, you always used to say, the most vulnerable person in the room is the greatest teacher. Mm. Amazing. So to that end, I think you as manager, right, need to lead, right? You, you know, the, the level that your people are going to be willing to be uh, open and forthright and transparent with you is directly correlated to the level you are leading with your own vulnerability and transparency. And so this is an interesting conversation because I think that there's, you know, I've been playing around with this idea of contextual transparency, mm. you know, that we don't always want to be 100% transparent for people that don't have the context to be able to interpret that level of sharing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I think that a lot of leaders get hung up on this idea as well of, well, I want to be transparent. I want to say that I have no freaking clue what I'm doing as the leader of this company or as your manager. But if I share that, that's going to decrease their confidence in my ability to lead them. And really what they need is that they need somebody saying, yes, this is where we're going, even though I'm scared shitless and I don't know what I'm doing. Hmm. So how do you resolve that paradox? I, I was, that's why I'm asking you the question. <laughs> it is a good question. I think that um, I'm not sure there's a, there's a clear-cut right answer there. I, I do think that we're probably all being less transparent than than we could be. And that, that I think that, you know, leaning into that edge more often than not tends to have better rewards. Right. So as a rule of thumb, go farther than what's comfortable. Yes. And that you're still not going to burn the house down. People are not going to lose all confidence in you. But it is worth noting that you can go too far, right? If you're in a situation where, you know, the context isn't appropriate for you to be wildly transparent Right, there can be negative consequences. Yeah, and I so think that there's an art to it. There's an there, and that's part probably part of the learning is you know I, I mean I've certainly maybe gone too far in sharing things before and then but, but I mean it's it's interesting because like I I don't know if I ever have like I don't know if there's instances in my life where I'm like wow I really wish I hadn't been that vulnerable. Uh huh. It's actually like no every time that I've gone farther than I thought I should go it became the very thing that was a catalyst for transforming my life. Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting thing. And, you know, I mean, and it's also, I think it's worth noting that you don't need to be transparent and uh, 100% vulnerable with every single person in your life. But what we want to make sure is that you are finding some people in your life for that depth of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That is what is going to be catalyzing your own transformation. 
Because it's, you know, in a way, it's not so much about the other people. Our ability to be vulnerable is more to do with us healing, us actually overcoming our shame, us becoming more self-expressed than it necessarily is about the impact it has on other people. And as a leader, we need to be continually on our own growth and development or, or, or on our uh, on the edge of right, our growth and development. on the edge, exactly. Well, so to add also a little bit more context for the high fives, and you know, this is a prompt in the the weekly habit of writing your own 15-5, which is 15 minutes of self-reflection and answering questions like, where are you stuck? What do you need help with? Which also, again, is actually a part of creating psychological safety is asking people how they're doing, being curious about people, using questions and inquiry to understand what's really going on for people, and then using those questions and their answers as a starting point for deeper conversations in person. But so part of that weekly habit is prompting people to give other people in the organization a high five, which is a, a, a celebration, an acknowledgement, a recognition of something that they did that had a positive impact on either yourself or someone else in the organization or on the organization as a whole. And it's really, it's cool because we sometimes really need to be prompted for these things. You know, we all have a lot of gratitude and appreciation for the people in our lives that usually goes unsaid. And so high fives is a way of kind of stimulating the sharing of that gratitude and appreciation on a weekly basis. And I think for the recipient, right, as you're receiving these things and and you're receiving this from your team members and people who you're related to at work, right, starts to create this sense of, oh, wow, I'm accepted, I belong, I'm being recognized, right? And you feel closer to these other people, it kind of creates that, it creates a sense of safety. Okay, so hopefully this uh, helps you deepen your understanding of the importance of psychological safety and how you can create a little bit more of it in your organization. And, you know, one of the cool things is that the path to psychological safety is going to be different for every organization, for every individual. There's some very common universal themes, but make an inquiry of it. Start exploring how can you do this in a way that is in alignment with your own cultural values and really, you know, we, we want you to just be in the inquiry of your own psychological safety because so often we want to go out and create this change for other people, but have you really taken care of yourself? Have you really gone through the journey of understanding what is required for you to have psychological safety? Because, you know, if you can create your own psychological safety and create environments around you that are psychologically safe, you then become this kind of permission giver for people to also be psychologically safe. And because, you know, again, it's it's not all external. If you feel psychologically unsafe, you could go into an organization that has all the preconditions for psychological safety, but you never actually make that switch yourself, which again is part of where the personal accountability, your own 100% responsibility comes in place of what do you need for psychological safety so that then you can actually create that for other people. That's a great, great point. I think it's, uh, you know, in doing that, we're all students of it, right? You're noticing when and why do I feel psychologically safe? You know, are there things where I'm holding myself back or is it environmental? Is there something about the relationship or the culture or whatnot? And then, you know, as a practitioner, 
starting to take on the intention that, you know, part of my role in my relationships and as a manager is to create psychological safety and then to experiment and to hold that intention and then to to do the things that you think are going to improve that. Yeah, and, oh, and one other manager practice that we really love is we call it a best self kickoff, which is in the first two weeks of taking on somebody to your team, sit down and have a conversation around, you know, what kind of feedback do they like? You know, what are, what are the contexts in which they receive feedback the best? What's their relationship with receiving critical feedback? What are their strengths? How do they want to use them? What are their ambitions for this role? What are their career ambitions? What are their, the places that they're concerned that they might struggle with or that might become performance issues for them? Just have those conversations. You know, fundamentally, our message at 15.5 is ask better questions, have better conversations, and you'll get better results, both in your professional and your personal life. And that, by the way, there's not as great of a divide between those two as we like to think. It's all life. It's all relationships. And so let's do this together. Let's really thrive inside of this thing we call business. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, We're looking forward to continuing the conversation with y'all. A big thank you to our producer, Counter-Ray Creative, and our executive producer, David Misney, and Stacey Hurst, our guest coordinator. Please visit 15.5.com slash podcast. That's the number 15 and the word five. For more information on today's discussion, for additional resources and special offers. One of the easiest and highest leverage things you can do to support us in this podcast is write a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. It really does go a long way in terms of getting the word out and more people can hear this message so that we can start a movement and truly get more and more businesses out there helping their people become their best selves. To get all the latest episodes, please subscribe to Best Self Management on iTunes or Google Play. And if you have a question or comment you'd like us to address in a future show, please email us at podcast at 15.5.com. And finally, thank you for listening to this podcast. Until next time, know that we support you in being and becoming your best self. 